Welcome to the podcast with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galina. Welcome back to the conversation. We are in our second season, people, and this is our inaugural episode from our second season. Not to say that we have just been, you know, sitting around and not doing anything or not, you know, recording or discussing and all those sort of things. We've been doing loads of that. And yeah, those will come your way. Those will be coming your way for sure in these upcoming episodes. But we are going to do a top line coverage in this episode. And essentially, we're going to talk about what are the most important issues currently in fashion. Let's do it. I think this is a great way to restart, or this is a great way to start the season in that there's just been so much percolation in different years, a lot of controversies. Well, a lot of controversies, they'll come for a 24 hour news cycle and then they'll go away. And there's been some shift in talents and myriad things. So let's just kind of, let's sort I think of so, dive but I, th- into I think it. that there have been a few larger themes that have come up, which is really okay. interesting because I feel like before fashion was just like, where's it going? And we were talking about that a lot last year where we was just like, what's going on? And it just felt like a lot of convoluted stuff. And I feel like, at least for me, I feel like in 2019 specifically, there are some real larger cultural themes that are coming up as to like what actually is important in fashion. Like what are people talking about? How are we grouping these like circumstances or these happenings and what are important, what's important to people. So I, I think it's, it feels a bit more defined than it did before. Okay, well, you're really displaying a great deal of optimism here, and I, I'm, I'm curious just to see, to to hear <laughs> what has determined, you know, this sort of, like, understanding in this new age. I think if you look at it from a high level, like, before, we were just like, no one knows what they're doing, where are we going, what's happening, it felt a little bit negative, the, there was a rate, whereas now I feel like the themes, whether they're good or bad, you know, like, We've spoken about them a lot over the summer and over the last few months, like whether it's, you know, sustainability, race and fashion, authenticity, like who are the power players? Like, I think that everything falls within buckets that feel a bit more defined about like these important topics. You could see the way brands are clamoring to tap into all these different buckets. That's what I mean. Whereas before, I think it was before we started the podcast and as we started the podcast, we were just like, what the fuck is fashion even fair enough you know fair whereas enough. now I feel like we're really defining like priorities or what's important or you know I, I don't know I just feel there's a different energy around okay fine how okay, we're well, organizing to, ourselves in fashion well to that end then let's dive into it and <laughs> one point that you mentioned or one subject that you mentioned here is sustainability and I think actually that is probably one of the most misunderstood buckets in 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 all of this conversation that we'll have what is sustainability you know is is sustainability recycling upcycling I think that I think a lot of people never mind your lay your lay people um don't really have a sense of what that is it's weird that there isn't a kind of consensus around that terminology Mm -hmm. and I think that the fact that it is so subjective depending on the brand is problematic because that's where marketing plays a role and there's lots of miscommunication or misleading ideas around sustainability but I'm really intrigued as to why it's not a bigger problem or like sorry not a bigger problem why it's not a bigger issue I feel I have to say though I I I have been having a fair amount of conversations and um whether it be with store owners or designers or the articles that I'm reading or whatever 
this sustainability has really has really come to the forefront as one of the most important subjects in fashion, not just in my discerning lane, but no, amongst amongst a wide audience of people. I'm not arguing that. I think just as the number two pollutant in the world, to uh, as the number two pollute like industry that's polluting the world, um, I'm just surprised that it it hasn't really become more of a systemic change. It's well, a topic, it's been a topic, but you know that talk is talk is talk. But in enough. terms of best practices and the ways in which people are running their business and the way that they're thinking about the bottom line and the ways that they're thinking about sourcing and manufacturing and infrastructure, I'm just surprised that it hasn't really moved forward given... Well, what are you talking about? You're talking about like res- doing re- business responsibly? Is that how? Is that the education that people have about doing business? No, they do business um, by what they can get away with. If they don't have, to, fo- if they don't yeah. have to focus on best practices, um, never mind issues that they didn't really have to zero mm-hmm. in on before, for, oh well they're not going to do it they won't probably do it to the extent until they're properly shamed until it really lands on the doorstep but when is late when is too late yeah it's definitely an accountability issue i think that they're we're very reactive when something happens we react to it um and you know there are some brands that are newer where a lot of this is native to to the makeup of their brand but just overall, I don't feel like it's being taken as seriously. And can I can I attempt to offer a definition as I as I see sustainability? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about practices that are that can be maintained over a period of time that is in the best interest of the planet and the people. Is, is that is, I would agree. It's a bit general, but like that's that's how I'm using the word sustain. Something that can sustain over a period of time that's in the better interest of a of that's um, environmentally sustainable. That's environmentally sustainable. Yeah. I have to say that um, the especially when I speak to younger people, I do feel that they see whether or not they have changed their practices. I do feel that they. Feel that this is one of the most important issues of the day. I, I do feel so. that. I do think so, and I think that's probably where the tides will turn. I think as younger generations become um, decision makers, and you know, as we're becoming a much more part of the um, the lead consumers, I think those tides will change. But I'm just really surprised that 2018, 2019, there wasn't like a much bigger. Um, practical focus and tactical focus on sustainability it just felt still like a lot of rhetoric and a lot of marketing and a thousand panels but what are you actually what have you done for me lately well here's what i think is the big issue with sustainability that unless we are authentic and honest about this uh that we're always going to have this issue i think the big issue with sustainability is overconsumption and yeah. I think if we don't actually say that we're consuming too much and think about how to lessen production, manufacturing, and therefore consumption of products, that this sustainability conversation is just a sideshow. And therein lies the issues because it's counter to okay. increasing revenue when you you're go. telling people to buy less. There you go. It's in fact counter to this free market economy. It's maybe even counter to capitalism. So... Unless we really embrace this this feeling and this thinking that we have to preserve this planet, that this planet is a breathing, living thing that if it goes away, we go away. Like really, though. But also, I think that's the general misconception. This whole idea of if the planet goes away, we go. But the planet will be fine. We will go away. <laughs> 
we will go away and then and then Mother Earth will be like, oh, now I can, I can recover. Breathe. I can recover from this hangover. And I think that's what we that's don't. But that's what we don't seem to understand. And it's really interesting that it really has become a bit of a focus point for me. Um, becoming not to get sloppy about it, but no, becoming no. a mother. You know, becoming a mother, having a child, thinking about if I want to like have more children, and I'm just like, well, what are they being let in for? Like, what am I leaving to them? You know, the, there's a lot of scary news about what's going to happen over the next forty years, which is definitely within our lifetimes, most certainly within our children's lifetimes, and don't even talk about obviously our grandchildren. So, yeah, I definitely as like the the industry that is second in command in terms of how uh, we pollute the planet. It's a, it's a bit of a scary thing to think about what you're participating in and what your role is within all of it and I am really surprised that as you know we have a lot of conversations around it but as I do more digging into best practices and how that impacts the bottom line I mean listen it's hard it's messy it's expensive to start with but you know as we all kind of co-opt into the same vision hopefully you know things become easier but no I just wonder when is it really going to be taken seriously? Well, I, I think we're, we're quite far off because, Henrietta, you see all of these clothing, all of this excess that are coming down runways that are being broadcasted from, you know, from um, uh, Instagram feeds and love books and whatever, whatever else. The proposition of products. It's just, more, more, more. Oh, more. it's more, more, more. But I got to tell you, like, when I, when I look, I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I find it obscene and I find it, you know, I find it offensive in many ways but it's not to say that I still don't consume um one thing that that has happened to me however is like you know plastic when I'm being given all these plastic bags I do think I do I do have a pause like why are we distributed so many so much plastic we've heard the stories of them ending up in the ocean and clogging this and clogging that and ending up in whale's stomach and so on and so forth yes the information is out there and the thinking has started to change but you know what more than likely I'm going to take that plastic bag because it's convenient for me to carry my things and so if we're not going to actually change our practice that is going to make life at least somewhat inconvenient for a while until we transition, nothing is going to change. But that is a real excellent point, though, about what enforces change. Is it our collective consumer behaviour or is it the brands stepping up and helping us do that? You know, they're stepping up and saying this is the way it needs to be. It's a it's a chicken or egg situation. But you know what? You're you're that's an excellent point. And I think the brand's responsibility in this and you know, unfortunately, you know what? It's gonna have to happen. There's gonna have to be legislation around this. There's gonna a hundred there's gonna be legislation about it that's gonna force the hand of the brands to to act better. That's what's gonna happen. But I don't Not think... with these current administrations though, to be fair. Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We we're waiting at least we're waiting at least a couple years for, for any of those changes to take place. That's for that's for sure. But yes, you're absolutely right. I think accountability and responsibility for brands, there's something that's going to have to be instituted in order for them to, to conduct business better, more responsibly for the, for the interests of the planet. Yeah, it'd be great if there was some sort of governing body in fashion, you well, know? <laughs> LOL. We've asked, we've asked for a lot of governing bodies for a myriad of reasons, and no, no, this playground that is fashion, no, they're not looking for that oversight at all. And another area that we have certainly delved into quite a bit in the history of this podcast um, is the racial one. And for sure, let's underscore that again, it continues to be one of the most important issues 
in fashion today. But the picture looks different, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm a bit over this topic a little bit. Because it's so public-facing, I think that the the race issue in fashion is an ongoing one, as it should be, but it's great. Never has it been a better time to be a... Black a model, model, a black editor, a black influencer. It's all very public facing, but what the like the Gucci thing that just happened? It's very <clears throat> indicative of does anyone black even work at your business? Like given how it was such a hot topic with um, you know previous all black campaigns and you know the the casting and the diversity and Dapper Dan and all of that kind of obsession with blackness that was happening at Gucci then they put it down and everything went back to normal but we call we call that out at the time 100% I was already annoyed with them because I was like oh what we've gone back to the same archaic ratios of you know casting and all of that stuff when you put that topic down and now with this whole blackface balaclava thing I'm just like yeah of course it's gonna happen but here's the thing okay now and I don't know if I've expressed this before in in our other podcast where we touched on the subject but I have to tell you the responsibility is as well on our community I I cannot tell you how it gets me and I feel like I've mentioned something like this before where it gets me where you know uh, some young black individual or well-established black individual whatever is head to toe in Gucci like I mean all day long and they're not thinking about what that means. They're not thinking about what Gucci isn't doing. Um, it's just for the drip, as they say, for the floss, as they say. I think, you know, we bandy around Gucci all over the world. It's like literally the standard bearer right now in style. And I gotta be honest, that's often led by people of color, particularly black people. Um, we're not we're not holding ourselves accountable to the choices that we're making. At least, you know, the greater population isn't. So therefore, why why should Gucci, um, you know, go make a concerted effort to make a change in their executive, um, in their executive offices when there are no protestations outside? No one is begging that, you know, someone is, you know, someone's on the front lines making a decision to make sure that these gaffes don't continue to take place. Look at the thing with Prada and their keychain. Prada didn't see Gucci. Prada did not see black models for 15 years. She started ushering them in the last couple of years. I would love to know the executive um how many executives of color are in Prada that they can still make a mistake by having a, a, a keychain of such a fence being put in their collection so I don't these these companies are not making any real substantive changes internally in order to avoid some of these things and that shows you but also the consuming class they're happily distracted by by you know uh, some style whatever coming down the runway they're not asking questions if you tell them that's what they're supposed to have they consume it, and that's that. I agree with you to a certain extent in terms of um, brands being held accountable and what are their hiring practices, etc. But, I mean, I think Gucci is an exception because they are actively co-opting into black culture. Good point. Like, that's the responsibility. If you're going to do that, you should have a diverse enough internal staff and executive branch who is talking about those narratives and providing those strategies and, and actually have equity in terms of what it is that they're doing. Like it, they're making very definitive choices around black culture That's very true. That's very in true. a way that I think a lot of other brands 
are or are not, but I think Gucci is a very specific example. And look at the Dapper Dan. We have to underscore that, you know, when they when they had the controversy surrounding uh, appropriating his designs, you know, they quickly, in short order, gave him a little deal with his little atelier in Harlem and and and, and speak about their love of black people and love of black culture. And then they put it down, and then they had this gaffe. So it really does all stem back to. Um, you know, there seems to be more equity on a from a public facing standpoint, but yes. still very little behind the scenes. And I can attest to that as one of the few black people, um, you know, that that is an executive and, and, you know, it's really problematic. There are very few of us. And um, I will call it out, guys. This is called racism. When you are not making a concerted effort, even when there's been like, you know, um, issues with the company, public, internal, otherwise, that has adversely impacted its surrounding race, and you still don't want to make sure that you are, um, you're stacking your executive class with the appropriate people to make sure that your company don't get hit with these controversies. Well, you don't want black people up in there. You, you, this is a conservative effort not to include them. So this is racism. So it's not just a little 24 hour news story for Gucci that seems to come up every couple months. It's just saying that there's a systemic issue internally with that brand that they continue to have issues with race, particularly where black people are concerned. Yeah. And I think that in in terms of this being an important kind of issue or theme in fashion, I think what's interesting is it often gets conflated with other representation issues. But I think that, um, you know, the race conversation has paved the way for other um, kind of exclusion, whether it's, um, you know, abilities versus disabilities, whether it's the size inclusive conversation. I think that now we're definitely opening up the, the, the kind of the doors in terms of talking and having like meaningful dialogue around size and all of these kinds of other issues. So I think that's one positive thing. I just wish that whether it's whatever the representation, it's really reflected in the executive and, and hiring process, uh, executive corridors and hiring practices, um, because it just all feels very marketing-led, even with the size-inclusive movement that now every brand is co-opting into. It's and can I, can I, can I highlight this, this issue in this conversation? That'd be Naomi Campbell. Oh, God. <laughs> That'd be Naomi And I'll put Edward in this, but Edward, that's, that's different. Edward is getting a lot of accolades as a very visible, representational editor that has included a very diverse um, uh, roster of talents, models, etc. In his, in his post there at um, British Vogue. But Naomi Campbell, the thirst of this woman who is literally traveling around the world, sucking all the oxygen around diversity from this industry. Like that's that's the kind of thing that upsets me. We are still um, putting our attentions on a single woman like Naomi Campbell, who is running around the world trying to get, uh, you know, her her editor in chiefship at at, at um, uh, African Vogue. This is this is the the story that I'm that I'm hearing from my you know my people around the world. That Naomi Campbell is literally, you know. Um, uh, assuming the face of diversity, this is a woman who kept 
all of the black models off the runway through the 80s, through the 90s and, and the early noughts. But yet in this age, she is the one, as I said, that is literally sucking the oxygen out of the room because once she is there, apparently is representation. Like these are the kind of things that really still upset me in this age is that we're trying to really make veritable changes, real changes, real inclusivity. But no, here comes Naomi Campbell to the opening of a window to steal the glory and to steal the thunder from other talents in this business that are not being recognized simply because she wants to have the glory for uh, the, holding the mantle of diversity. Those are the kind of things that I that that really upset me. Edward Edwards' um, um, accomplishments, what he's done in British Vogue, fantastic, great. And he also has like, um, move the narrative forward by by having other players, by having the Jarmos, the former um, editor or the former fashion director at um at ID, bringing her up as a proper editor there at um at British Vogue and so on and so oh, forth. Oh, he took all of the black writers and editors. Yeah, he has really like Donald put Wallace black people in. Al, like, so yes, yeah. which is which is great. So he's getting a lot of credit for um for diversifying the you know the 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 the, the playing field right there. But I have to say. It all does not tie up with Naomi Campbell and with Edward Inningful. And it's, and it's particularly in this age when the other names need to be, needs to emerge. The other players in this industry, what do they contribute? What do they do? Let's talk about that's really changing the game. So I need to, I need to, I, this Naomi Campbell thing, her thirst has been way too evident and way too offensive and hijacking of other people getting the right attention. So, Sorry to go on this. Do you? So, what are you annoyed about? It's it's a a disingenuous. It's completely agenda. disingenuous. This is a narcissistic personal agenda for Naomi Campbell. But but as we know, as media works, media goes to the to, to the to the to the shiniest penny and the hottest bulb. And she represents that in this business, you know. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Naomi Campbell's um, uh, contribution to fashion over the last three decades. But in this age, she is not the face of uh, of, of diversity just because she puts on a bloody um, Afro wig that she has never in the history of her, of, 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 of being a model, has ever worn an Afro wig in life before. But all of a sudden now it's about uh, Africa and diversity and you're going to put an Afro wig on to, 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 to ascend to where you want to be in the, on the, in the world or in this industry? That's offensive. And I, I'm not buying it. And there needs to be more of a backlash for this. So you're offended by a, a seemingly disingenuous agenda. Yes. But just a question to play devil's advocate. Do you not think that if the output is positive, do you think it matters, given that she is someone who also might have had some sort of shift? Meanwhile, she's still keeping models off the runway. I won't get into those stories right now, but meanwhile, she's still keeping models off the runway. Okay, let's 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 leave it there. No, no, no. Let's, guys, that's, one of the things that absolutely needs to be discussed in, in this era as well is that who is worthy as the the advocates, the ambassadors of the change that we need. And unfortunately, the visible players, most of the visible players, the Bethan, the Naomi Campbells, these are not worthy people of the cause. These are people who are looking at their legacy. And I hear you, but my question is that if they are pushing the narrative and the agenda and, and the cause forward, how important are those things if then no one else in that kind of position and that level of power 
is willing to step up. Well, that's the thing. That's why we keep having these these issues, these gaps from these brands because we think that Naomi Campbell, you know, made some change by that last appearance she made or that, you know, that 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 statement she made. No, no because you know what the industry knows that she's also, you know, party to whatever is in her interest. So so are you thinking that she's more figureheading and not doing the actual work or Oh, well, people think she's doing the actual work when she's, you know, in tears talking about some African situation. But girl, let's talk about what you were talking about 10 years ago. Let's talk about what you were doing 15 years ago. Let's talk about what you, do, what you did last year. You know, I'm not here to throw Naomi Campbell in the bus. Like, that's not, that's not my objective here. But I, I, I do think if we're trying to really make change, let's be authentic about it. And I understand her value. I understand that she's one of the most visible black people in our recent times, and especially in fashion, she's arguably probably the most visible. So yeah, she, 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 um, her value is there, but girl, at, at least for one, atone for what you've done in the past. And I may feel that your future is authentic. I know you are a Naomi Campbell devotee. She's a sacrosanct entity. You can barely get out an adverse syllable about her. It's That's fine. A so lot of people feel Jason, that. And let me let me carry on though. Jason let me carry Campbell on. There's a lot that. of there's a lot of and here's the thing. A lot of one of the things that upset me so much is that you know we we wonder why Harvey Weinstein was able to carry on his campaign for so long because it was abuse of power. We deify these people and we look at them like, oh my God, but you're doing this you could never do that no let's call it out let's not let these people carry on for longer than they need to doing the ill but seemingly doing um uh, good for us no 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 i want authenticity and this is not a this is not a utopian ideal here no i'm just saying that there are much more qualified people to play that role than Naomi Campbell. And the thing is, you speak to people who've been in this business for, you know, for anywhere past 10, uh, 10 years, and the stories of Naomi Campbell are known. I will not have Naomi Campbell be my spokesperson in this era, nor Beth Ann Hardison. And I, the, my... Oh, you can't find your words around no, Naomi, my, I see. I'm, I'm, <laughs> listen, Jason. I'm not afraid of Naomi Campbell, for the record. This is not what I'm saying. <laughs> you have said a lot... And there is a lot to unpack there. So I'm just trying to organize my thoughts. It really is just that. Um, I do feel like she's iconic. She's obviously done a lot, for the, ind- she's done a lot for the industry. No, but she really has. I mean, a 30 plus year. I mean, this isn't like iconic. Like the model that started last year is iconic. It's not a social well, how did you get? How did you get to where you, how did you ascend to where you are? No, and I hear you. I think really there's a lot to unpack is all I'm saying. But I th- Yeah, they, I mean, they, they often get the, the, the attention and the credit for, you know, and, and occupy the space of the spokesperson for that role, and they are not worthy of occupying that space. I don't need another, I don't need a disingenuous person speaking for this cause when I know that I know that person and I know what her agenda is. I don't need that. Yeah. Why? Like, we talk about authenticity. Why talk about authenticity? We're not really talking about authenticity. We're talking about this sort of manipulated authenticity. Oh, well, it comes with 20% authenticity and 80% manipulation. But, you know, at the end of the day, what gets broadcasted does read authentic enough. Let's go with that. Come on. I mean, my 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 viewpoint is yes, it is um, a rebrand. I'm definitely. I mean, her, that rebrand. Her okay, history, that's her history is very well documented. <laughs> I am very cautious when it comes to writing someone off based on um, certain past behaviors because 
I think we're all able to change and evolve. I think she came up in a very different time. Um, but I also, what do you mean but, by that? She came up in a very different time where you can, <laughs> where you can um, slight your rate, your your sister, and not even slight, where you can keep your sister down. So you can rise? Yeah, that's the time I'm talking about. It's not unique to her, I think, that there, really? she was in a space where there is only one. And no, I think no, that... no. She created that space, baby. She created that space. Remember, the 70s, there was a, that space was occupied by many black models, very diverse black models. Um, so don't, don't give me this rewritten history about, um, about how that space was. No. Exactly. That's how a narrative gets rewritten after time, and that's not that's the case. That's not even what happened. Yeah, there was a big. Um, there was a big. Um, Why did she have to have a mea culpa with Tyra? No, but there was a big um, community of black models in the seventies and the eighties, and as we've discussed, even with James Scully, it, that all changed when the power players shifted, and there was a stylist culture, and there was and a whitewashing fashion. <laughs> and so, I think there is definitely context around how that came to be. It doesn't erase the fact that that was just the way that it was and I feel like regardless of the fact I for me for me it's less of an indictment because I feel like she is one voice I don't think she is the voice so I I think I just also look at it slightly differently from you I, 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 the voice let's be honest is arguably the most important voice in the conversation arguably as people as people see but I think it does not to not to switch topics and do a bait and switch but that whole idea of authenticity that's getting you so riled up is such an important theme in fashion it's so important to people well how does it get you so riled up when brands you feel brands market inauthentically when they're just like oh let's just get a bigger size girl and say that we're size inclusive oh let's just get let's just put a little black you know brown thing up in you know a group of 10 and say that we're inclusive you have a real gripe you have a real gripe with that but yet somehow Naomi Campbell gets a serious pass from you I think it's because I think that I can understand how people operate in a way that um, is human nature in a way that with brands there's a level of inauthenticity that is is untrue it's misleading and I think it has much larger cultural impact than like Naomi Campbell flying the mantle for racial diversity actually that I, I may beg to differ I actually may beg to differ that's actually that's a point worth discussing which influence is greater some whatever spewed from a Naomi Campbell's mouth or the messaging from an ad campaign um, from whatever 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 brand that's 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 a that's a, a real question actually it is a real question <laughs> but I think it's questionable as to what Naomi Campbell's like how authentic Naomi Campbell's agenda is I think as you have like articulated your your point of view on that but you could also on the flip side say no well she's learned from her mistakes and <laughs> this is who she is and she doesn't want to be the only one and she wants to right her wrongs whatever I think there's more context around that argument in a way that for a brand if you're all of a sudden picking something up that you were not selling before and then you put it down that is an out and out lie if you are outwardly projecting messages and trying to co-opt into something that's really important while not actually doing the work that's very problematic because it's a sales tactic. Like Naomi Campbell isn't really selling you any goods, right? So that's my whole thing of if her agenda isn't authentic, like does it massively matter if she's well, no, willing, she's selling goods. If she's doing the work. Whereas like if, you know, I think where you spend your money is indicative of what the future of that industry or the world or the culture is going to look like. So if you're misleading me with 
with this these ideas of sustainability or authenticity and things that are just not true in terms of sustain you know the culture of your company your practices as a company just inherently what is true you're misleading people to buy your goods and to keep you thriving in a way that is really problematic in a way that Naomi Campbell like jumping on this like diversity bandwagon I think if anything she's like raising awareness for something that really needs to be talked about and is hopefully making space for other voices but I don't really see the downside in her okay fair enough trying to build her legacy but talking about something that's really relevant and bringing awareness to something like I think she's not the only person to have done that like to have used her personal agenda I wonder, to ride can away I this question? that is culturally relevant but I do think from the brand side it's completely problematic and just not the same thing okay well can I give you this example you know we're now um, mired in this like you know political controversy regarding governors and 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 senators or whatever having blackface on so that governor that we're that they're that's mired in the controversy in Virginia apparently if that who had blackface on back in law school if he currently got you know made the statement that that I back in law school I did have blackface I am it wasn't the smartest decision at the time I was less informed than I am now I was less sensitive to racial you know issues and so on and so forth and now that I know better I'm doing better you know would that be would that be enough explanation to sort of like excuse this man and for him to stay in his post as governor and to carry on doing business as usual I think that's a very situa- different situation because again unlike Naomi Campbell these people are make their decision makers that impact the lives of all people if I do not believe that you are for me because you're fundamentally racist that's problematic in a way that with Naomi what legislation like what uh, what decisions what policies what what um, legislation is she creating that impacts the lives of the people that she's well, telling stuff to? Well, you know what? She in? doesn't need legislation. She has influence. And so, well, speaking of influence, let's I'm move just, this forward. I'm just talking about the more tactical realities of being a brand, being a governor, being a politician versus being a supermodel that's decided to pivot into becoming No, well, no, no, no. We don't have to, you know, applying words like tactical does not make the influence any greater. So, um, fine, you may not apply tactical to Naomi Campbell, but her influence is also great. And we would have to, we'd have to, you know, compare the brand that we're speaking about with, to determine just exactly which influence is greater. So I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let her off or let you off the hook by saying like, oh, it's not that, no. I hear you. I just don't think it, I just don't think that the output is, is the same damage. I just don't. Okay, fine. So we'll agree to disagree on that, but let's segue over then into another, um, influencer of surrounding this whole racial discussion and that being Virgil. You know, would you say he's arguably the most influential person in fashion now? One of them, yeah, for sure. Okay. And what sort of, um, what's the importance of his voice now? It's really hard to say, if I'm honest. It's just getting so conflated with so many other things. It's, and you just hear his name and see his presence everywhere that you're just like not even really sure what you're talking about anymore. <laughs> I just feel like he's like the chairman of fashion and that's just okay. the way that it is. That's a headline. Um, Virgil Abloh, the chairman of fashion, according to Henrietta Galina. What's interesting now is how I think he's becoming more polarizing as people are really dissecting what his relevance is, where his importance and his influence lies, his abilities at Vuitton now that he's, you know, had a second collection. Um, Which I happen to, I really like the second collection. I didn't love the first collection. I did like the second collection. And I was also encouraged by some of the numbers I heard that 
for the first year, uh, Louis Vuitton reached uh, ten billion dollars in sales, which I was just like, okay, well, uh, I I like for tangible information that is that is attributable to at least partially attributable to to the to the personality we're speaking. Yeah, about. I mean, I can't say that I'm surprised about the sales aspect of it. I think that that was really why he was appointed because he's he's got a proven track record of being able to sell goods to consumers in a way that is both heart culturally relevant but in a way that you know people are picking up what he's putting down um that was never really in question I think I just think it's just gotten a little bit complicated but I'm interested in the dialogue that's happening around him because before it's like you just couldn't hear a a, a, a counter opinion to the fact that he's just like amazing and a genius and everything and I think people are really looking at what he's doing, the way that his um, designs are really problematic to even new designers. Like his last collection, there were pieces that were almost identical to um, a young designer out of Europe. Yes, I saw that. Social media like blew up. He didn't say anything about it. There was no communication around it from his side. And I think that that is really problematic and something that, I'm surprised hasn't been addressed, particularly when it comes to his collections of Vuitton, where it's, you know, he's very much a 2.0-ing fashion in a way that isn't acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that's interesting. But it's just hard to say. I mean, he's just winning, and it's not something that I think is uncalled for. I think that he is deserving. He seems to be one of the hardest working people in this industry. One, he seems to be very kind. So I think a lot of it's deserved, but I do definitely think that there needs to be a lot more conversation around his level of influence. But specifically for me, where he sources inspiration and how that inspiration manifests quite literally into the same product. Well, that's interesting. And I think that's Another point to discuss, and the entity that called that out was Diet Prada. And we, I don't think we've really ever, have we ever mentioned Diet Prada on our broadcast? I don't believe that we have, but I think, you know, but I think in this, in this conversation concerning the important issues in fashion, let's be honest, you know, those guys have emerged. That duo has emerged in the last several months as a veritable, veritable corner voice in this business who will discuss things that are not discussed in the mainstream media um and so forth i'm not a big um reader of their of their of their feed sometimes i do catch it and sometimes i'm like wow you guys responded very quickly you seem to have receipts as they say Mm -hmm. and uh the challenges are always well supported and i think that they are wildly successful or at least the people want to hear their voice i think they have nearly a million um followers on instagram one million oh one okay so they're moving very quickly, 1.1 million. And I think what that uh, means is that there's just a dearth of, 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 of people who um, have different opinions in this business. And they happen to be one that will call out certain entities and they have been uh, rewarded for it. I think what they represent and what they're bringing back is that rigor that we talk about often in like journalism and you know fashion critique in the sense that they apply critical thought to you know collections and to the themes of this industry they are very well researched they're very well written they're able to formulate thoughts in a way that is valuable um and I think that they're really bringing back that critique where it's like we're not just going to say yes because we don't want to lose a sponsorship or we know we're gonna really tell you what we think about a collection and 
come at it from a, a, a through a lens of critical thought and not just arbitrary opinion based, which is where we find ourselves with this kind of influencer blogger landscape that we find ourselves in in fashion. One of the things that I think has fueled their power is that the general consensus is just, oh, I don't want to end up on Diet Prada. And I think that has been a really big point, which is very indicative of this call-out culture. They're like the biggest call-out platform of like, they will fuck you up mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they call you out and, um, you know, that's not always, that's not always a bad thing by any means. I mean, if you look at the way they took on Dolce & Gabbana, I mean, their downfall just would not have been as fast and as big if it wasn't for a platform like Diet Prada. That being said, I mean, I think there are some nuances that just like are the nature of fashion and they are calling it out anyway, particularly when it comes to a lot of the smaller brands and designers. That's like this call out culture, you know, can really take down a business or really mar someone's reputation in a way that, you know, is there enough due diligence in the world to understand the nuances and what actually happened, how things actually came to be beyond it, just like living on social media and taking at face value. So I think that there's a duality to, to, to a diet Prada um, and all of, you know, those, those um, kind of people that are coming out um, after them. I think you, you make a very good point in in stating um you know just sort of how that how the opinions are formed and how quickly they they they're formed because this just makes me uh think about hint back in my day hint mag and chic happens and that was the precursor to let's say diet prada but that was a different era there was no instagram this was just online but it was it really gave the tea um as they say and on a daily but in this culture with all the technology there is a heavy response a heavy a quick distribution of that information and therefore it can have huge ramifications never mind that we're in activism culture and so much of it happens online so what uh what a what an entity like diane prada when they publish something it can really have a very 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 swift impact and yes your 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 point is taken in that you know is the the right due diligence taking place is the rigor happening in terms of like before you know yeah publishing some of that information fair fair enough but what i do like is that there's uh I, i wouldn't call them overseers but let's call them raconteurs, you know, they have gone in and like are, you know, we'll, we'll mix things up um, and we'll call it as they see it and not afraid to ruffle feathers. That I think there needs to be more of in this Absolutely. Industry. And I think where their main base is on Instagram, there's only really so much context and and information you can get from That's the Instagram caption. <laughs> True. We're all headline readers and sometimes you need to distill the information to its most valuable points. But I do think that with that, we're now, they're almost giving more permission and imploring you to really do your due diligence. So I've noticed that people like Robin Gavans, you know, the way she's using her Instagram almost in a very similar light to a Diet Prada and people are really, you know, oh. hanging on her every word when she goes really in depth with a lot of issues that they might cover on their Instagram or their stories. And I think it's a really nice a nicely done um sort of thing that people are really now looking to these cultural arbiters who are really well versed and amazing critical thinkers to get those deep dives and like almost using diet priority as even a starting point or a daily check-in but like I've noticed that there is a rise in these incredible thinkers and critics which is really really 
I think, amazing. Well, um, that's also a nice segue into into who comprises the power class in fashion now. We mentioned Diet Prada as, and let's be careful about it. I, I don't love when these words get thrown around, who runs this and power that. But, but who? Where's the where's the influence power base? Let's say right now, surely Diet Prada um, occupies some of that space. But I ask that question, and I, I consider it part of uh, one of the more important issues in fashion right now. Because I got to tell you, looking, let's say, looking on, on Instagram, a daily feed. You know, I've been in this business for more than twenty years. I know a lot of people in this business globally and so forth. But I have to say, I'm looking in at let's say Copenhagen Fashion Week, for example, I'm seeing a lot of young, attractive women in, men, in a lot of expensive clothes, hand-locked, whipping around the city, getting shot in all this, you know, glamorous, nonchalant way with all this elan. Who are these people? That's a good question. <laughs> who are these people? You're like, who? And they're having 11,000 likes and the million followers and all these sort of things. I, what I think about, I don't, you know, in my, in my history, I've never been one of those hierarchical thinkers like this one is the creative director of this magazine and the fashion. I've never really thought about that. But however, I knew who the players was. I knew who was at Elle, who was at Mademoiselle, who was at Vogue and all these sort of things. In this, and I knew how they were ranked. In this age, who determines really the influence? What I'm looking at Instagram with all these people, with all their engagement, who... Who's running shit? <laughs> there is no hierarchy. It's a stampede. <laughs> it's, it's a stampede. It's a stampede. I, I don't know the answer to that question because I think one of the things about social media is it would have you believe that we are all running shit. Like, I, I, it's hard for me to decipher who's actually doing the work versus who's photographed doing the work versus who's claiming to do the work versus who has a blog or a website versus who just has an Instagram versus who is really caring about these issues versus who is just talking about these issues. It's like, I don't know. And everyone's on a panel and everyone's on Instagram being mad and everyone's wearing the same brands and dressed in, you know, three specific archetypes of ways. And it's really hard to decipher. And I think that's kind of the beauty of right now and also kind of the detriment. The beauty is that influence is democratized and it there's something for everyone. And it's really about you to really cherry pick your sources and navigate the space and figure out where you get your information from and whose voices are important to you and like all of that great yeah. stuff where it's the antithesis of like the anaculture winter of like one person top down I make all the decisions and you will just fall in line yeah. the downfall is I think that this idea of quote-unquote influence is now it's just like by virtue of having an Instagram <laughs> which which is questionable how you acquire those followers okay, even. I okay. mean, the due diligence you have to even do, like me from the brand side of like, are your followers real? Are you buying followers? Are you really working with those brands? How are those transactional? You know, you know, it's just all, it's just a very layered and requires a lot of um, due diligence and trust and like figuring out and, um, so then you're just a bit like, okay, who just has an Instagram? Who's actually intelligent? Who has a team? Who is actually writing their own captions? Who's actually real? And, you know, I think you you just, there's a lot to wade through. Um, 
It's true. But, I mean... It's true, but looking from the outside in, I have to tell you, it, 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 my questions <laughs> persist. I still, I still don't know. I still don't know who... And it's, you know, as I said, I'm out there in the world. It's not that I'm, that I'm not. But, but does anyone need to be the power player? Does anyone need to hold the key? I mean, there are obviously the, the personalities and the voices that rise to the top. Some of the aforementioned people like the Naomi's and the Virgil's and the Diet Prada's, some of the bigger designers and creative directors, some of the bigger editors. But I like, I kind of like having to pass through and figure out where your sources are coming from because okay. it feels much more to the point of being authentic. I don't have to just go to like one source to be like, well, I guess that's what it is. Like right. I can actually do my due diligence. I think the issue and the downfall is that when people are time poor and on social media and like gullible and all of those things that are themes in the larger cultural climate of Brexit and Donald Trump. And that's how these people get elected. How these situations happen is because doing your due diligence is a lot of work. Well, I have to say in um, waiting for the dust to settle, if you will, I mean, several of the things that we've discussed in my what are the important issues in fashion, I'm really waiting for the dust to settle on. And that's one of them. That's really kind of one of them in terms of like, because people are always looking for the important ones, the ones who are, who really offer the value, the ones who information is really, is, is, is good, is strong. You know, and I, I, I think that will play itself out in, in I think time. I personally think that the dust has settled. That's exactly oh, what I was saying at the beginning. I think that 2017 and 18 were very murky and convoluted and actually felt quite negative. And I think that what's happened is we have established, for the most part, what the important themes and issues in fashion are that we've just talked about. It's, you know, sustainability, it's race and I, I would broaden out race into like general representation whether it's size or, or disability or a whole kind of number of things that fall under that umbrella I do think it's in its authenticity what is the intention how are you following through in, into everything from marketing to best practices to hiring who sits on your board and executive um, branches through to is it just consumer facing is switching out a model for a real person are you done? And I think that's really important. And then I think that it's influence. Who are the influencers? What does influence mean? And I think that they're all cyclical because they're all related and that really deciphering each of those things and how important they are is really all a brand strategy really is. And that is what drives resonance, is what drives conversion, it's what drives sales, and it's what is driving the future of fashion. So I think that those are the important themes. Maybe we're missing a, a few others that we'll obviously explore in, in next episodes, but I would say that those were it. Well, and on that note... I have decided. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I'm tired. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Uh, it's my time for something.